welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to find the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter one, we have been in a series through the book of Colossians. This is our fourth message in that series. And we've entitled this series, The Supreme and Sufficient Savior. The Supreme and Sufficient Savior. Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He has gotten word from the pastor of the church at Colossae, whose name is Epaphras. He's gotten word about this church and he's He's heard a bit of testimony about them. He heard of their great faith that they had in Jesus Christ. He heard of the love that they had towards all the saints, the scripture says. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the sequence and the saturation of that testimony, that the sequence is they had faith in Christ and then they have love one for another. And we said, that's the right sequence is that you can never love your brother the right way. You can never love your sister in Christ the right way. If you don't first have faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul was encouraged with part of the testimony that he heard about this church at Colossae. And then he begins to write after hearing this testimony under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he pulls out his pen and he begins to write. We know in verse one, he introduces himself to the church and he encourages them in the Lord. And then he thanks God for the wonderful testimony that he has heard about them. Last week, we went through verses nine through 14, where Paul offers up a prayer for the church at Colossae. And he says to them, I pray that you would walk worthy unto the Lord in all pleasing. I pray that you would be faithfully living, fruitfully laboring, and fervently learning. Following the prayer that ends in verse 14, while Paul had heard about this faithful testimony, he gets to really one of the main reasons for this letter. Because while they had a faithful testimony, there were some false teachers that had infiltrated the church at Colossae. They were teaching what is called in some circles as the Colossian heresy. And Paul is going to begin to write to refute some of the false teaching that has begun to filter into the church. Now, these folks that were teaching this false gospel or this heresy were known as the Gnostics. It's kind of a mix between Eastern mysticism and the legalism found in Judaism. And they kind of found their own methodology of thinking and their own doctrine, if you will. The Gnostics, here's what they claimed. They claimed that they had superior knowledge and that it required superior knowledge in order to know God. They said that God sent out an emanation that Jesus is somewhere on the hierarchy of those emanations, that he sent out one of those emanations to create the world. They denied both the deity and the humanity of Jesus. 
The bottom line is this. They simply did not know the Jesus of the Bible. And so this morning, I want us to walk through these verses as we consider Jesus of the Bible. Paul is going to refute some error because when you get it wrong about Jesus, then you've got it wrong for all of eternity. And what we are about to read, Paul, yes, is going to refute the error that had begun to infiltrate the church, but what we are about to read is one of the most doctrinally rich and most significant passages when we deal with who is Jesus Christ. Now, there's the kenosis passage over in Philippians chapter two, but here in Colossians one, beginning in verse 15, I want you to pay attention to how Paul is going to just refute the teachings of these Gnostics. Now, they also believe these Gnostics did that all matter was evil. So there's no way that a good God would create anything with matter because matter was evil and Jesus could have never had a body of flesh because flesh is even evil. So Paul begins to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he writes one of the most powerful passages about who Jesus is in all of the Bible. So let's stand together and begin reading in verse 15 of Colossians chapter one. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? If you're glad to be in the house of God this morning, would you say amen? amen. If it looks packed up in here, would you say amen? amen? Goodness gracious, it's good to be in the house of God. Thank you. Listen, I know that many of you fight traffic. Maybe you didn't fight it as much coming in as you will going out. <laughs> Somehow said amen. That's the first time that man's ever said amen in church right there. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. But you'll fight traffic on the way out. You'll fight the crowd. But I want to encourage you that a church that's alive where God is moving is worth a little bit of a sacrifice to figure out how to get out of the traffic and all this kind of stuff. And I assure you, we are having conversations behind the scenes of how do we remedy some of this? And we just ask you for your patience and say thank you for your faithfulness in being here. I know I stand in here for a few minutes after the service and then I walk to my office and I look out the door and I see those cars just stacked up out there and I go, Lord, help them. Lord, just help them. <laughs> so if you'll do this and just hang around a fellowship for a few minutes after it's over, then you'll be last when you get to Dyer's, all right? <laughs> so, but thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being here this morning. Let's read what Paul says about the Lord Jesus. After he finishes his prayer in the verses 12 through 14, he talks about the one who delivered them from darkness, translated them into the kingdom of his dear son, the one who redeemed them. He makes this statement. Who is the, the image of the invisible God? You could say it this way, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created. Now who created all things? Jesus did. 
that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in, what's these next two words? That in all things, he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Let's consider for just a few moments the Jesus of the Bible. Heavenly Father, as we begin to share this morning what it is you've placed on our hearts for today, Lord, would you speak to us in a powerful way this morning? Would you, Lord, hide me behind your cross that I might say every word you would have said in this place this morning and not one that you wouldn't want us to say? And Lord, may we see who you really are. And then, Lord, may you do the work in our hearts that would reveal to us our lost condition, reveal, Lord, where we have fallen, and Lord, reveal to us where our fellowship needs to be restored with you this morning. And we'll praise you and thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. I absolutely love the Old Testament narratives. And if you've been here for any period of time, you know we just preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And I love Ruth as we walk through the book of Ruth and we walk through the book of Ezra and we walk through the book of Nehemiah. But as we get to the Pauline epistles... Many of these are so rich in doctrine, there's not a narrative that captivates us. But there should be a doctrine that captivates us this morning and moves us to a place of worship. There's been a movement in recent days that has happened across evangelical America that teaches that there is my Jesus and your Jesus. There is my truth and there is your truth. And it manifests itself in statements like this. Well, my Jesus would never do anything like that. My Jesus would never call out a hypocrite publicly. My, my, my Jesus would never allow somebody to go to hell. My Jesus is just not like that. Better yet, how about you just live out your truth and I will live out my truth. All of that is foreign to the word of God because we can know Jesus and we are not called to create a Jesus in our own image that is comfortable with our sin. But that's what we have done across America. We don't know the Jesus of the Bible. We've created a Jesus that makes us comfortable. We've created a Jesus that is not who the Lord says he really is. There is only one truth, and the Word of God is truth. And so this error that Paul is beginning to address is beginning to creep into the Colossian church, and he wanted them to understand who the Jesus of the Bible is because eternity is too long to be wrong when it comes to who Jesus is. So let's investigate this passage and see what Paul says and how he is going to push back on the false teachers that are spreading this 
heresy. If you're taking notes, number one, I see the eternal person of Jesus Christ. The eternal person of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, the first statement, listen to what it says. Who is the image of the invisible God? This is the most essential truth of the historic Christian faith. A popular preacher by the name of H.B. Charles, who I hope will come here in days to come and preach for us here, but he made this statement. Christianity is Christ and Christ is God. Christianity is Christ and Christ is God. So there's a couple of truths that Paul is going to establish as he makes the point that Jesus, and I'm gonna say this about 10 times through this sermon. Paul establishes this fact and he starts here, but the fact that he is establishing is this. Jesus is God. He's not a created being by God. He didn't show up in Bethlehem and all of a sudden there he is. No, Jesus is God. If you don't get that, then you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. And if you don't know the Jesus of the Bible, I'd check up. So Paul's gonna establish a couple of truths here very early in this. And one of the truths is this, is that God is invisible. God is invisible. We see that through the scriptures. John chapter four tells us that God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. First Timothy chapter one and verse 17 says, now unto the king eternal, immortal, what's that next word? Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. First John chapter four and verse 12 says, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. The essential, listen to me, the essential nature, the, the true essence of God has never been seen. However, Paul is telling us that our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that God the Son is the image of the invisible God. Now that word image is where we get our word icon, which means a representation or a manifestation of. The writer of Hebrews says he's the brightness of his glory. He's the express image of his person. Do you remember the upper room on Thursday night before Jesus would go to the cross on Friday? The disciples had gathered themselves together and they were asking questions. Jesus was laying down some truth, man. He was laying down some truth in John chapters 13 through 17. And in John 14, Philip asks a question. And Philip says in John 14 in verse eight, let's just read it. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the father and it sufficeth us. Philip says, if, if you'll just show us the father, all this talk about the father, how about show him to us and we'll be satisfied? Listen to how Jesus responded to this. He said, have I been so long time with you and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Watch this next phrase. He that has seen me has seen 
the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? I wonder what facial expression Jesus made when he looked at Philip and said, boy, you asking an elementary question on graduation day. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus did not become the image of God. He is the image of God because he is God himself who had no beginning, he will have no end. He was fully God, fully man at the same time. You say, explain that, can't. 100% man, 100% God, same time. Can you imagine Jesus in the, in the temple? Remember he goes there as a 12 year old little boy and these rabbis have gathered around and they start looking at each other and think, we never heard anybody teach like this. We've never heard anybody speak like that. Can you see one of those rabbis look at Jesus and say, how old are you? Well, on my mama's side, I'm 12. But on my father's side, I'm older than my mother. And I'm the same age as my father. So y'all ain't picking that up. <laughs> to know Jesus of the Bible is to know that Jesus is God. Colossians chapter one, look at verse 19. It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. There's nothing about God the Father that God the Son does not encapsulate. Look at chapter two and verse nine. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. You think, you think Paul is trying to get something across? He says, in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead. What's that last word? Bodily. Remember, that, these Gnostics believed that all flesh and all matter was evil. It's as if Paul is saying, look, Jesus had a body. He was in the flesh. He speaks about that even over in chapter 1 and verse 22, where he talks about the body of flesh of Jesus. So 100% man, 100% God, all at the same time. Notice the second half of verse 15, the firstborn of every creature. Now underline that because folks who come and knock on your door and want to have a conversation will go to this verse and say to you, you see, Jesus was created by God and he's the firstborn of God. But that is completely taken out of context. And if you just keep reading Colossians, you'll see that. Because we know that according to verse 17, look at verse 17, and he is what? Let's say it all, all, all three of those words. He is what? Before all things. So before there was anything, before there was a beginning, Jesus was. Are y'all picking this up, man? Before there was even a beginning, according to the word of God, Jesus was. You say, what does that mean? It, it, it means this firstborn 
of every creature means he is superior. It's a title of honor, of superiority and distinction from all other created beings. Remember, the Gnostics believed that Jesus was somewhere on the hierarchy of the angels, but he was not preeminent. But the Jesus of the Bible, who was before all things and is above all things, created he all things by himself and for himself. And he was there before creation ever began. 100% God, 100% humanity. In his humanity, he was asleep in the bottom of Simon Peter's boat. In his deity, he stood up on the bow of that boat and said, peace be still, and the waves laid down. In his humanity, he made his way to Bethany one day and he engaged with Mary and Martha after Lazarus had died and he saw their grief. And the Bible even says that Jesus swept in his humanity, but in his deity, he made his way there to the tomb where Lazarus was and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus got up out of the grave. He went from being dead to being alive. That's the Jesus of the Bible, 100% man, 100% deity, all at the same time, who never had a beginning. He will never have an end. And he spoke all things into creation. He is the eternal person, Jesus Christ. There's the eternal person of Jesus Christ. There's the established power of Jesus Christ. Now let's begin in verse 16. Paul says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he's before all things. See, he was before anything was created. These Gnostics that believed all matter was evil, Paul's going to address that heresy by telling them that the same Jesus who is God also created all of this matter that you think is evil. If you're taking notes, first of all, he created the physical. Listen to John 1 and verse 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It was all created by Christ. Who do you think flung the stars in the sky, created the galaxies? Who do you think turns the day into night? Who do you think makes the flowers and the trees and the animals and all of those things? Who is it that told the ocean you have to stop right here? Who is it that scooped out the valleys and pushed up the mountains? It is the one who is from the beginning. Jesus Christ, the one who spoke it all into existence. What we are dealing with right now is not the product of some big bang. We're not evolving as a species between the gap theory of Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. No, Jesus spoke it all into existence. He took nothing, spoke into it, created something, and told it to stay there. And the Ivy Leaguers would have us to believe somehow that we evolved from some protoplasmic sludge. And now here we are. Now, I don't have a hard time believing that about some of them. (laughs) Just making sure you're listening. I heard a poem one time that I've shared with you before. It's a good place for it, though. It speaks of creation. It says, first I was a tadpole, beginning to begin. Then I was a frog, 
with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey swinging in a tree. Now I am a professor with a PhD. (laughs) The inspired, infallible, inerrant, immutable word of God says this. Christ spoke it all into existence and that's good enough for me. By him were all things created. Some of you, I'm gonna mess you up right here, but let me ask you a question. You really think I'm worried about global warming? You really think I'm worried about the ice caps melting? You really think I'm concerned about that? When the one who spoke it all into existence, who holds it all together, who at all is consist, it consists because of him, you really think I'm worried about that mess? Not a bit. Now, if you want to worry about it, help yourself. But I got news for you. This earth was created by him, and when he's done with it, he'll be done with it. Amen? So, so I'm not worried about I'm not worried about that at all. You serve a God that's, according to what Paul says here, that by him, all things consist. All things are held together by him. He created the physical. He created the spiritual. Paul says he created the visible and the invisible. Now that means, stay with me here. If Jesus created all things visible and invisible, then that means Jesus created angels. It also means he created the demonic angels that fell. Oh, preacher, I got to tell you, boy, the devil's just all over me. That's God's devil. And he can't do anything. The enemy can do nothing to you that has not passed by the hands of Jesus. Go and read the book of Job. He's got to get permission to mess with you. And I would suggest this to most of us is we give the devil credit for stuff we, we did. <laughs> Our stinking rotten flesh that looks at us in the mirror every single day is corrupt to the core outside of Jesus. And we give the devil a lot of credit for stuff we do. But I want you to hear this morning, if, if, if you're down and out struggling through something, you feel like the enemy's got a hold of you like... He was getting a hold of Job, it seemed like, in the Old Testament. Know this, that God's in control of every bit of that, and nothing has come your way that has not passed by the hands of Jesus. He's the eternal person, Jesus Christ. There's the established power of Jesus Christ. He's the one that created it all. And then finally, there's the express position of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Paul's going to make it very clear here that Jesus Christ is not only the creator, but he is the head of the church. And without a head, a body can't function. Without a head, the body would die. It's the head that gives direction and gives wisdom. And here your pastor this morning, no pope, No patriarch, no priest, no preacher 
and no pastor is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Now, I'm not talking about a religious institution. When I say the church, I'm talking about those who have been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, that have been saved by God's amazing grace, who have been regenerated, who have been justified, who have been saved, saved, saved by those who have been born again. That's the church of Jesus Christ. And he's the head of the body who is the firstborn from the dead. Now, what does that mean? That he's the firstborn from the dead. Let me ask you a question. Was Jesus the only person to be raised from the dead? No. You go to the Old Testament, Elijah raised one from the dead. Elisha raised a couple from the dead. Several were raised from the dead in the New Testament. Jesus ruined some funerals back in the day. People just came alive. They didn't stay dead in his presence. But all of those who rose from the dead, they were born with a natural body. They died with a natural body. They came back with a natural body and died again. Jesus lived, died, came back from the dead, and will never die again. He's the only one we can say that about because he is the preeminent one and he is the firstborn from the dead. His resurrection also guarantees that you and I that have been saved by God's amazing grace, that who die in Christ, we too shall live with him forever and forever and forever. Finally, notice his preeminence. Don't close your Bibles yet, but the last part of verse 18 says this, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now that word preeminence means to rank first or to be in a place of influence. You see, Jesus is not to be prominent in our life. He is to be preeminent in our life. He's to be first in our talk and in our walk, in our living and in our giving, in our homes and in our hearts, in our work and in our worship. Paul says, in all things, he might have the preeminence. Can I ask you a question? What's the most preeminent thing in your life? What is it that takes up most of your time? What is it that brings you the most joy to talk about? What is it when your friends gather around? What is it that you love to talk about? What is it that dominates your thinking through the day? So then the question then becomes, what's preeminent or who is preeminent in our lives? Because the truth is, for many of us that have been saved by God's amazing grace, we can look back over times in our life and go, boy, 
went through a period there where something else became preeminent in my life. That Jesus wasn't in first place and he demands to be in first place because we all love a savior, but he's not just savior, he's Lord. And Lord means he's calling the shots. So the invitation is very simple this morning. Number one, do you know the Jesus of the Bible? I'm talking about the one who was from the beginning, who had no beginning, that spoke it all into existence. The one who came, gave his life on a cross of Calvary. They put him in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, up from the grave, he arose, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and me even now. And the Bible says he's came to seek and to save that which is lost. Do you know him? If not, could be this morning he has begun to seek after you because you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. You know a lot about Jesus. You just don't know Jesus. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to make your way to the front, put your hand in mine and just say, Pastor, I need to be saved. I'd love to walk through some scripture with you about how you can know Jesus. Secondly, this place is about packed. And I promise you in a crowd this large, there's some blood-bought, born-again believers. If we got honest before God, they would have to admit that some other things have become preeminent in our lives. That we've allowed some other things to take place or to take an improper place in our life. When the scripture says that he's to be preeminent in all things. So let me ask you a question. What's dominating your conversation at the house? What's dominating your thinking? How about today we find a spot in an altar and say, Lord, I've been distracted by so much. But Lord, today, I don't want to be distracted anymore. Would you be Lord in my life that I, Heavenly Father, would yield to you on a moment-by-moment basis that you would be the most preeminent thing in my life, in my home, in my family. As we stand to our feet, we'll have a word of prayer. If you need to do business with the Lord this morning, now's the time. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. And God, I pray that as we have stumbled our way through, it feels like this morning, these few verses, the Lord, if I've created any confusion, you would eliminate that from the minds of your people. But Lord, truly, for the born again believer in this place today, I pray, Lord, we'd do an honest evaluation of what's preeminent in our lives and make the necessary changes that need to be made. Spirit of God, would you convict? Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here lost today, they'd come to know you before it's everlasting too late. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Let me say this real quick, quickly before Val sings. I know that in an invitation like this, you respond to the invitation. Me and Jordan will be standing here. Ryan will make his way down to the altar and we'll say, yeah, I knew Ryan. I knew he didn't have the Lord preeminent in his life. I knew that. And we'll begin to judge other people. And as soon as we get there, we've stopped allowing him to be preeminent in our own life. So let's just be a church that gets real and not evaluate one another, but evaluate ourselves, not to one another, but evaluate ourselves against the perfect one who is Jesus. And if he's not preeminent today, he's the God of a brand new start. Why don't you come talk to him about it? You come as we sing. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.